from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Well, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us prepare our hearts now for the worship of God. me in your pew Bible to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 10 through 16 which can be found on page 598 in the Old Testament listen for and hear the word of God again the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying ask a sign of the Lord your God let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven but Ahaz said I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look at the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture lesson comes from the book of Romans. Hear how the Apostle Paul begins in Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name, including yourselves, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, break open your ancient word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who ventured into this sacred space this morning. Whether it's our first time or our thousandth time. So that we would be formed to be more like your son, Jesus 
the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, a man by the name of Eddie Kneebone was born into the Pangarang people, which is one of the aboriginal tribes of Australia. Mr. Kneebone was a, a self-taught painter. He was a peace advocate, and he was a sought-after speaker, that is, up until his death in 2005. And in his talks around the world, he would often reference the, the tribe's customs from which he came, the customs that were left to him and left to generations to come after him that taught him what it means to be a human being. He was fond of one particular practice within his tribe. When a young person reached a certain age, sort of like our confirmation in this community, or maybe similar to a bar or bat mitzvah in the Jewish community, when, it, when a child came of age, a tribal leader would pull them aside and take them to a, a quiet place where it was just the two of them, and the tribal leader would tell the young person a secret. They would tell them the location of a secret watering hole or a well. They would tell them uh, the, the secret ingredients of a flower or a, of a plant that had a certain medicinal purpose. And the young person would keep this secret to themselves until it was necessary to divulge it. For when a drought came or when someone had fallen ill and their medical needs required this, this plant or this flower, the young person would speak the truth, would divulge the secret, and the community would be blessed. Mr. Kneebone would say as he would talk about this practice, he said, imagine what a sense of importance this young person would have. Imagine what a sense of belonging this young person would be given, each of them having a unique place, each of them ready when it is time to speak the information, the word that they have that will make all the difference to the tribe. Well, the Apostle Paul shares a unique and solemnly trusted message with the young Christians living in Rome. It's a message of profound and life-changing good news. And, and to be sure, it's a little different than the information that was passed on from the tribal leader to the young person. It's information that is not just reserved for one person, not just spoken in secret to one person, but but spoken to all people. It's actually good news for all people. We read this time of year that it is a message. This Christmas message is good news for all people. It is not good news if it isn't for all people. This message should be proclaimed from the mountaintop and in the valley. It should be proclaimed in the urban sprawl. It should be proclaimed on the rural hillside. This good news, this gospel that God has come to be with us in and as the person of Jesus Christ, even with its global reach, even with its collective uh, ramifications, is still a message spoken clearly and directly to you and to me. Like the tribal leader, this is the, the similarity in this illustration. There is a message that is spoken 
in this season, not just to anybody, but to you and to me. The God of the universe is speaking in this Christmas season. The Apostle Paul frames this talk, this speech, this good news in this way in accordance to the promises made through the prophets and through the scriptures. This descendant of David, this Jesus of Nazareth, has been declared the Son of God. Has been declared the Son of God with power according to the Holy Spirit by resurrection from the dead. It is this one from whom we have received grace. It is from this one from whom we've received a sense of purpose and the gift of faith, an obedient faith that doesn't just live in, in hallowed sanctuaries like these, but, but lives and walks and breathes and serves out in the world. This Jesus, whose birth we prepare, prepare for, rather, in just a week, is God's direct message to you and to me, and to this world. Now, if you've been around the last four weeks, I'm not going to ask you if you've had perfect attendance during this season of Advent, but if you've been around these past four weeks, you've heard a lot of countercultural talk and how Advent meets us in a very countercultural way, in a world that is so tiring and that sucks the life and stamina out of us when all we want to do is rest and all we want to do is sleep. The first word this Advent season was, stay awake. And then the second week came in a world with a, a, a life that is oftentimes marked by autonomy. It's marked by presumption. It's, it's marked sometimes by despair. A second countercultural word comes to us. Have hope. Have hope. And then in the third week, in a world and with a life that needs God to show up like yesterday, we're told to be patient and to wait. And now the fourth week of Advent is upon us with a new message, a message spoken to you and to me, a message that says we should belong to Christ. We should belong to Christ when so much in this world seeks to form and shape our identity, when so much in this world seeks to define our existence, it seeks to define our worth and our value, this direct message to you and to me, that we belong to Jesus Christ supersedes. It's above every other message. That's the miracle of Christmas. All of these other identity markers, all these other things vying for our allegiance, vying for our heart and our soul are all second to Jesus the Christ, this direct message that God has spoken to you and to me. This belonging, belonging to him, shapes our identity. It shapes the trajectory of our life. It shapes our priorities. It shapes the way we spend our time and our money. It shapes our existence. It shapes our relationships and the ones to whom God has called us to move toward. Two summers ago, I taught a class here at the church entitled The Gospel According to Pixar. I suggested in that class that no one tells a better story today than Disney's Pixar. Nobody tells a better story today. 
I've mentioned in, in talks or if I'm speaking with preachers, I, I often say we got to learn to tell the story like Pixar tells it. Because really all the Pixar is doing subconsciously and in many ways consciously, they're just taking the old, old stories of our faith, the Jewish and Christian stories and, and these profoundly deep and life transformative theologies, and they're just telling them in a new and a fresh way. Take, for example, their first blockbuster film, the movie Toy Story. I had a very interesting experience at the 8 o'clock. A dad who doesn't normally come to the 8 o'clock had his child, who's not usually up at 8 o'clock, he said that, that he came because his son was already up at 4.30 and he watched Toy Story for the first time this morning to occupy his attention. That kid paid attention to my sermon. <laughs> Toy Story. There's a little boy named Andy who loves his toys. And his toys have this unique capability. When Andy's not in the room, they come to life. They talk to each other. They actually have like a, a sort of like a government in a way that they run their, their life together. They have a hierarchy. And at the top of that hierarchy is Andy's favorite toy, a cowboy doll named Woody. He loves Woody. Well, the opening scenes of the film let you know that Andy is celebrating a birthday and all his friends come with with new presents and the, the toys, uh, the current toys that are living there are nervous that there will be uh, some superior toy that will, will get Andy's attention and replace them, especially Woody. He is anxious that he will lose his seat as the top of, of Andy's favorite toys. Sure enough, Andy receives a brand new space ranger named Buzz Lightyear. And as Buzz is introduced to the community of toys and he begins to talk, they quickly realize that this toy actually thinks he's the real Buzz Lightyear. That he has a real laser. That he can actually fly. That he has a mission in the world. And Woody, because he grows increasingly jealous of the affection and affinity that Andy has for this new toy, Woody begins to undermine Buzz. He begins to, to tell him that you're nothing, you're worthless, you're just plastic, you're a, a child's plaything, you're just a toy. Well, toward the end of the, the film, Woody and Buzz find themselves in a great predicament. They are captured, held hostage by the evil neighbor Sid who likes to blow up toys. And they're trying to figure out how to get, get out of this boy's room and get back to Andy. And, and Buzz has the idea that he is going to fly back to Andy. Because he, after all, is a space ranger. He's a real Buzz Lightyear. And he tries to fly, and he comes crashing to the ground. And he realizes, he realizes that Woody was right all along. That he's just a toy. In fact, he says, I'm just a stupid insignificant little toy. Buzz is ready to give in. He's consumed by self-pity and consumed by grief as he discovers his true identity. And it's in this moment that Woody is converted. Now, just as an aside, every Pixar film has a conversion in it. Someone is always converted to the good. Have you heard stories like that before? Maybe in church. There's always a conversion. And Woody is converted. And he says something that is at core for our theological faith and life together. 
Something that comes right from the scriptures. Something that comes right from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, Buzz, there is a boy next door who thinks you are the greatest, and not because you're a space ranger, but because you are his. Because you're his. Buzz lifts his foot, and, and on the bottom of it, he sees the letters A N D Y written in permanent marker, reminding, of, reminding him, rather, to whom he belongs. And, and it's that moment where Buzz is converted. He changes. He realizes, despite the fact that he is just a child's plaything, he is still loved and valued, and he belongs to this one. This is the core of the Christmas message that God has etched God's very name on our hearts, even hearts of stone that were meant to bleed. And when we look upon that, we are converted to the truth that we belong to this God. And there is nothing we can do, nothing that we left undone that will deny the love that this God has for you and for me, that we belong to this God. That is the core nature of who we are. We may be human beings. We may be human beings filled with strengths and weaknesses. We may be filled with idiosyncrasies. We may be a mixture of, of saint and sinner. We may be made in the image of God, but prone to wander, as the old hymn says. And yet this God, nonetheless, still claims us, still comes to us, still reaches out God's hand to us and invites us to belong. And it is that that converts us to press toward freedom out of those dark rooms like Sid's room in Toy Story, rooms of destruction and despair, rooms of self-pity and doubt, where we find our liberation and the fullness of life. I want to be very clear about what I'm saying here. When we talk about what it means to belong to Jesus Christ, what I'm not saying this morning, and I don't want you to hear this in any way, I'm not saying that what it means to belong to Jesus Christ means to belong to some moral framework. It doesn't mean to belong to an idea it doesn't mean to belong to the Christmas spirit. It doesn't mean to belong to an ethical system. It doesn't mean to belong to a religion. It doesn't even mean to belong to Christianity. That's not what it means to belong to Christ. To belong to Christ means to belong to a person. A person who has a history. A person who was born who lived, who died, who was raised for you and for me. We're not called to belong to some concept, some notion, some religion. We're called to belong to Jesus Christ, a person, and to have a real relationship with him. I will close with this. Getting in the weeds just a little bit in Romans 1, and this phrase, called to belong to Jesus Christ, this phrase, the way we read it in English, is not how it literally appears in the Greek. One of, maybe the only great thing about studying Greek, is you realize how inadequate English is sometimes in translating Greek. 
There are words in Greek and concepts and phrases in Greek that we just don't have a, a parallel in English. And this is one of those cases. And it's one of the themes that Paul talks about throughout his writings, not just here in, in the church in Rome, but, but in the church in Corinth and Philippi and Colossians and, and all of these young churches that he speaks to and writes to. Called to belong to Jesus Christ is an attempt to get at what is actually happening here when we talk about the union we can have with this Christ child. This mystical union, as Calvin once put it. The phrase as Paul originally wrote it says this, literally, called of Jesus Christ. There's no word for belong in there. Just called of Jesus Christ. This Greek word carries with it the connotation of something being called into being. This is not me taking out my cell phone and calling you. This is like, think of it this way, this is like God calling the universe into existence. Does that make sense? Calling something into being. Calling something into reality. That's what this is. Called of Jesus Christ. Being fully human. Being brought into the fullness of who God has created us to be when we have unity with this, with this Christ. Paul says it in a different way later to the church in Corinth. He says this, So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to God's very self. Friends, this belonging that we're talking about, this, this union, this unity, this reconciliation, this, this new creation way of being human in the world is what we have stayed awake for. It's what we've been patiently waiting for. It's what we've hoped for. This Christ is the gift. The gift that changes everything. We're practical people, and I'm sure some of us are thinking, you know, preacher, that's good theology, that's good church talk, but how does this stuff walk in the world? I mean, how, how do I go about tending and honoring and receiving this gift and, and what it really means to have union with Christ in my life? How, how do I claim this belonging? How do I claim this reconciliation, especially when, when things are so hard? David Lowe's put it this way. He frames our situation, I think, in, in a very clear, uh, clear way. He said, so many of us struggle to see God. So many of us struggle to see God amidst the desolate headlines. So many more wonder where God is amid their own more private pain or ruptured relationships, lost loved ones, loneliness, illness, job loss, living on the streets or depression. Or maybe it's just that we get caught up in the day-to-day -day routine of making ends meet, that we have a hard time imagining that God could possibly make a difference in our world. Sure, maybe we believe in God in general, but sensing God's presence, knowing God's unity, let alone seeing God in the nitty-gritty of our mundane lives seems a bit too much. I mean, how can this actually be possible? How does it take place? This morning after the 8 o'clock service, a woman came out. She was crying. She was in tears. And she said, so much of my life I've, I've spent trying to belong to Christianity, and Christianity has let me down. I said, welcome to the club. Because Christianity is just something that we've created 
To be sure, I'm a Christian. And I think it's a great way to order and, and to shape your life. But, it's, but Christmas is not about the doctrines of Christianity. Christmas is, is not about the theology of Christianity. Christmas is not about religion. It's not about the Christmas spirit. It's about a person. It's about a relationship that you and I can have in this world and in the age to come. And so the only way I know how to encourage somebody who is wondering how we have this union with Christ, the only way I can encourage someone who is tired of having a, a belonging to these, to these failed human systems is to just say, open your heart and believe that this gift is spoken to you. And that this Christ child is God's clear message to you and to me and to receive that and to say, Lord, I, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I want you to lead me. I want you to be my number one priority. I want you to shape my relationships, shape how I work, shape how I spend time, shape how I spend money. Because in that, in that union, that's when we are fully called into being. That's when we live our best selves. That's what we were created to live for and to live into. Friends, we have stayed awake. We have had hope. We have been patient. And now it is time. The Christ child is coming. It's time to have union with him. May we receive this gift, the very best gift that's ever been given to us. And all of God's people say, Amen. We have two Stephen ministers in our chapel outside of those doors and down to the left uh, who are ready to meet you if you'd like someone to pray for you uh, in a personal way. If you have a particular prayer request that you'd like to bring forward, those individuals, again, will be in our chapel uh, to meet you. Uh, we've been told to stay awake. We've been told to have hope. We've been told to be patient. And now, as the Christ child is on the way, we are told to belong to him to have union with him, to receive him for the gift that he is, a gift that will change our lives. And may the first change 
be peace and comfort in the knowledge that God is with us and for us in this Christ. And may that peace, a peace which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Him. May it live inside of you this day and every day of your life. Amen.